Welcome to episode 31 and the three-year anniversary episode of Head Speaks. I know the number is not quite right for three years for a monthly podcast. I had a few delays, but we're at the three-year mark. Thank you for joining us. Also, before we get started, I want to dedicate this episode to a great man we've lost recently. I grew up watching the 1966 Batman TV series. And recently we lost our beloved Adam West, who was my Batman. He was the Batman I grew up with. Uh, Watching him as adults, it seems a little more silly, a little more campy than I remember as a kid, but no matter what, he's still Batman. Uh, Maybe he's in the great beyond at this point, punching the Joker in the nose with a big old pal. Adam West, you will be missed, sir. Now let's get on with the show. Hello there, true believers. This is Head Speaks, a proud member of the Headcast Network family of shows. As usual, I am your host, Aaron Moss, a.k.a. Head. This is my mostly monthly Headcast, where I talk about comics, movies, role-playing games, TV shows, and anything else geeky that I want. So sit back and enjoy the ride. Let's begin. As I said at the top of the show, this is my three-year spectacular show. I've redone the opening. What do you guys think? Let me know. Uh, For those that may be the first time listening, as again, as I said in the intro, my name is Aaron Moss. My friends call me Head. It's short for Airhead. Long story. I've explained it previously. Uh, Maybe I'll touch on it again at some point. But anyways, um, this is my three-year show. As I keep repeating, I'm just kind of surprised that I've made it three years. Uh, for a while there was touch and go just due to being busy and everything else going on wasn't quite sure for those that are new here again uh, this is a show where I started out uh, I talked about comics things that pissed me off it was a little more uh, I didn't use a little more adult language when I first started and over the couple years I decided to tone down the language and make it a more of a family friendly show if you will I don't believe in censorship, but uh, for the purpose of the show, I mean, there may still be the occasional language, and I'll mark those shows as such. But for the most part, I try to keep this show uh, for the whole family. So each episode I do, I break it in different segments, uh, whether I talk about comics or movies, TV shows, uh, a little bit about me, whatever the case may be, I break it up with a little bumper. And usually during each show, I'll play some advertisements. Well, not advertisements so much, but promotions for some other podcasters right now. Let's go ahead and get this show started properly. We're going to start this show with a little segment I call A Little Head. I had a bumper created for this one at one point, but once I decided to make it a more family-friendly show, that bumper didn't work out so well. So uh, this is my bumper for now. A little head. This is a segment of the show where I basically give you a little bit of backstory on me, something from my past uh, or about my friends, family, whatever I feel like divulging uh, during the episode. Uh, sometimes it's a funny moment, sometimes it's a serious, poignant moment, but it's usually about me. Uh, being the three year mark for my anniversary, 
I decided what I'm going to do is, uh, again, I've talked about this in the past, but I'm going to go into it again here just because it's the three-year anniversary of Head Speaks. I guess I'll go into my origins of my podcasting career one more time. Again, I've always been a uh, fan of superheroes, as I've talked about in other shows, and I'll talk about it again. I didn't get into comics proper until 87. Uh, by 88, I was an addict. Uh, yes, uh, my name is Aaron Moss, and I'm a comic book addict. <laughs> I've always been a technological type guy. I've been working on computers, been working for internet. I worked for internet service for 12 years. So I used to say I'm almost on the cusp of technology usually. But podcasts is one thing I never really got into. Didn't really listen to them. I figured it was all Rush Limbaugh type stuff, uh, conservatives spouting conservative BS. Uh, while I'm not a liberal, I, I'm more middle of the road. But anyway, that's another story entirely. Uh, we'll save that for a political episode. Uh, so I didn't really get into, poly, or into podcasts. And me and the wife, uh, yes, I'm married with uh, four kids. Uh, me and my wife was watching Kevin Smith's Common Book Men on AMC. And when they were talking, they were talking about, you know, early on, they were talking about how this originated from a podcast. And the wife asked me, well, have you ever listened to any of the podcasts? I'm like, no, I've never really gotten into podcasts. I've never tried it out, really. So I downloaded, well, yeah, I downloaded my podcast program on my iPhone. And I looked for some of Kevin Smith's podcasts. I downloaded the uh, Comic Book Men podcast. I downloaded a handful of Kevin Smith's podcasts. Um, Tell Him Steve, Dave, Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, Hollywood Babble On, uh, Smodcast. And I started listening to his podcasts. While I'm listening to those podcasts, I'm like, well, I wonder if there's anything else comic-related. So Firestorm being one of my favorite characters, I looked for a Firestorm podcast. I found uh, the Irredeemable Shag and Rob Kelly's Fire and Water podcast. Also, while searching, I found Michael Bailey's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Well, I say Michael Bailey's. It's actually Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor. I love the the burnt era Superman. Again, Firestorm was one of my favorite characters, so I started listening to those podcasts. I listened to podcasts, I don't know, maybe a year or so. And at this time, I was working at the IRS. I still am, but I was working at the IRS, and my manager, her name was Sue Sturgeon. She's a, a, a geek also. She's like, she likes Star Wars, the Marvel movies. She likes Kevin Smith. And so whenever there were slow moments at work or I had a few moments, we'd talk, you know, about Kevin Smith, Star Wars, whatever it may be. I say that to say this. Another friend I used to work with at an internet company, Romero. Hey, Romero, if you're still listening, hi. He had bought some tickets to a Kevin Smith movie. It was a Jay and Bob, Silent Bob's groovy cartoon movie or whatever. And due to unforeseen circumstances, he wasn't able to go. He knows I'm a Kevin Smith fan because at the internet company we worked for, we talked about Kevin Smith at times. So he, you know, offered him to me. I didn't have the extra money right then to buy him. So I, knowing my boss was a Kevin Smith fan, I told her, hey, I've got a friend that's got some tickets he wants to sell. He's got four tickets. He's looking to unload them just because he can't go. He doesn't want to lose his money. So I was basically the middleman uh, getting the tickets for my boss, Sue Sturgeon. 
uh, later on in the week, me and Sue was talking, and Sue asked why I didn't want to go to the show. I'm like, well, I just don't have the money right now. I'd love to go, but money's tight, and I can't afford you know to spend the money on tickets and gas up to San Francisco where the show's at and all that. So that's why I offer them to you. And she's like, well, you know what? I'm, me and my husband's going, and my son, we've got an extra ticket. Uh, we've got room in our car if you want to ride with us. Since, you know, you supplied us the tickets, basically, you made it possible for you to buy these. I'll give you the fourth ticket if you want to go. Oh, heck yeah. So I went and watched the groovy cartoon movie with Sue and her husband, John, and their son, Eric. And after the movie, Kevin Smith and Jay Muse came out. And they was recording an episode of Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. And basically what this podcast is, it's a, as Kevin Smith says, it's an intervention podcast. Jay was heavy into the drugs, smack, heroin, whatever. And to try to get him sober and keep him sober, he helped him start a podcast so he could talk about it. And as he says, if more people out there knows of his problems, there's more people that can help keep him accountable. Accountable for his actions. So they started the podcast and then they would travel the country when they do like these shows and do Q&As and that would become the podcast. So they did the Q&A and during the shows, Kevin Smith always talks because Kevin Smith, you ask him a question and he'll take another hour and a half to answer it. During this particular Q&A, I forget the details, but it came up and he's got to normally would tell people in the past, go out and make a movie, you know, it's fun, it's, you know, it's something to do. Uh, in more recent times, he's been telling people to go out and start a podcast. It's relatively free. There's no one stopping you. There's no gatekeeper saying you can't do this. Uh, go out and start a podcast. And he did so during this show. He told us all, go out and start a podcast. He's like, in fact, you've got a homework assignment. Within the next year, I want you all to go out and do at least one podcast. So we went home and I thought about it and continue to listen to the podcasts I would listen to. And over the next year, my mind was churning because, again, whenever I do anything, I don't, I try not to rush into it. I, I stop, I plan, I think. I'm a thinker, I'm a planner. Well, I decided, you know what? Let's do a podcast. What should I talk about, though? You know, it's hard for me to get together with friends because I'm, I'm a father, I've got young kids. So it's hard for me to get together with people. But I can talk about myself. I've got a computer. I've got a mic. I can throw this on the internet. So let me do a podcast by myself. So I, I took things from some of the shows I listened to, like uh, Hollywood Babylon. They would have the different segments. Uh, but I'm a big comic book fan, so most of my podcasts are centered around comic books or something similar to that, other geeky things. Another, like I said, another podcast I listened to was both the From Crisis to Crisis a Superman podcast and the Fire and Water podcast. Fire and Water again talks about Fireman, Fireman, Firestorm, and Aquaman. So that's the main reason I decided to make it geek oriented. Besides the fact that that's what I'm into, these other podcasts I listened to really got me revved up for it. But as I'm listening to, I think it was mainly the Fire and Water podcast. They would talk about all these other podcasts that are out there on these other different characters. And they're talking, and I'm like, well, you know what? <sighs> Maybe during my podcast, I can talk about some comic books I enjoy. Because, again, that's what the Fire and Water podcast is. 
and also the From Crisis to Crisis, they, they index, it's an index show where they talk about an issue of, uh, of the certain characters that they're referring to, and they talk about their monthly comics month after month. And again, my favorite characters are Firestorm. There's really a podcast on that. There's The Atom. I love him, but I haven't read a lot of his older stuff, and he hasn't had a lot of his own series. I'm like, I don't know. And I got thinking, and somewhere along the way, as I was listening to the Fire and Water podcast, they had mentioned the Suicide Squad. I love the Suicide Squad comic book. So I'm like, you know what? Let me you know, podcast about the Suicide Squad. And somewhere in there, it became its own podcast. I'm like, well, that's one book. You know what? Checkmate's part of that. It was all part of the Task Force X group, which was the, the espionage and the uh, the darker side, if you will, of the DC Universe. Huh, I could podcast about Suicide Squad, and I wouldn't mind talking about Checkmate. It was a good book. You know what? Instead of doing it with my head speaks, let me start another podcast called... What should I call it? Well, they're both under Task Force S... Task Force X, as I said. Let's call my new podcast Task Force X. So almost a year to the day of the show, I started the Head Speaks podcast. And then the next month, I started my second show. Because if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it big. I started Task Force X, where I talk about, as I said, both uh, the Suicide Squad and Checkmate. And so for the next year, I ran both podcasts. And as I'm going along, another comic I'm, I'm a big fan of was G.I. Joe. So I searched the internet during that time and found a G.I. Joe podcast. And I listened to, you know, it had been going on for several years. So I went through the back catalog of episodes. And I'm noticing, you know, it started out, I think it was a monthly or bi-weekly show or whatever. And I'm looking at the episodes I've got on my pod, my podcast program on my iPhone, and I'm noticing that the episodes are getting further and further apart. They start off like monthly or whatever, and then there's a couple months in between episodes, and then six months, and then a year. And then I'm noticing there hadn't been another episode for like a year at the, by that point. I'm like, you know what? They, they only got like 13, 14, 20 episodes in. I forget how many it was. And I'm too lazy to go back and look right now, but... They didn't go all the way through the run. I love G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, as I've talked about elsewhere, is what got me into comics. Uh, G.I. Joe was my drug of choice. That's what led one thing to another back in 87. Let's talk about G.I. Joe. So, I forget the details. I think I mentioned it on one of the uh, little Facebook uh, messaging groups that I'm with. That I'm thinking about starting a G.I. Joe podcast. And is anyone interested? Uh, a guy on there named Ryan Daly, who was doing a Secret Origins podcast and a couple of other podcasts, said he was interested. He likes this G.I. Joe. And also Kyle Benning, another podcaster, he said he'd be interested. So I got together the two guys and we started G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. I'm the main host because I started the show and they joined me from episode one. A short time later, I was talking with a, another podcasting buddy, Gene Hendricks, who'd mentioned that he has a friend that would like to join us because he is a fan of G.I. Joe. Uh, Gene didn't have time, so he said, well, he's not that big of a fan, so he's like, my buddy would like to join you guys. So one thing led to another, and his buddy, Adam Worth, joined the show. 
And so it was me, Ryan, Kyle Benning, and Adam Worth, or as he calls himself, Diamond Adam Worth. We're doing the podcast, and not all the time they can all make it. With my family life and my recording hours, I'm on the West Coast. I record late at night, which is even later for them, so they don't always make every episode. So in recent episodes, I've been adding a few more hosts, Pat Sampson, Jared Albrecht, uh, Kevin uh, Reitzel. A few other guys have joined me here and there for episodes of G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. So we're going along. So I've got three podcasts after like two years. And as I'm going along, I'm listening to another podcast. It's on the Fire and, uh, Fire and Water Network feed. It's called The Who's Who in the DCU Podcast, where Shag and Rob cover DC Comics' Who's Who's book from the 80, late 80s, early 90s, which is basically just an index of all their characters. And they were covering one of the characters, uh, I forget which one now, but they had appeared in Starman, and Shag made a plea, someone needs to start a Starman blog. Well, I heard him, and I obeyed. <laughs> I loved the Starman comics from the late 80s. His name was Will Payton. And so I decided to do a Starman podcast. I'm like, you know what, there's only one book. I want to make things a little more difficult for myself. Let me do two books. What other book can I do of Starman? So I thought, and another book from that same time frame that I loved was Manhunter character named Mark Shaw. So I decided to start the Starman and a Manhunter podcast. I was trying to think of a name. I had a couple different names in mind. I threw them out to some podcasting friends. And the one that I settled on was the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. I like it because it sounds very much like a lot of the cartoon shows from the 70s that I grew up on and loved. So that was my fourth podcast, which is going on about a year now. I'm only on episode 9, but again, the delays, it's been about a year. So, I've got four shows going. Also during this time, my daughter, whose name's Alexis, she's my little mini-me. She loves everything her daddy loves. And she's also into Disney, Barbies, princesses, things like that. But she loves superheroes, comic book stuff, because her daddy does. <laughs> and she would listen to me occasionally record my podcasts. And one day she said, Daddy, I want to do a podcast. So I helped her start her own little podcast. Uh, she's only gotten f- four episodes out over the last year or so. And it's called Alexa Speaks. Uh, so as I'm listening to my podcast I listen to, I noticed that, like I said, that the Fire & Water podcast, they started a network. And several other shows I listen to, they're on a network. A bunch of other shows combined together to make a network of shows. And like, you know, I've got four shows. My daughter's got a show. Why don't I create the Headcast Network? Thus was born my podcasting empire. Okay, maybe not an empire, but that's how I started the Headcast Network with my four shows and my daughter's show. So I've got four shows. I've been delayed recently due to family and I was finding time. You would think that's enough for me. Uh, Apparently not. Uh, As I was on Facebook talking with some Facebooking friends or some podcasting friends on Facebook, uh, a guy that does the Flash podcast, his name's Andy Batik, I can't pronounce his last name, I call him Andy B. He was looking for people to do a podcast for the upcoming sci-fi show Krypton. Well, I threw my hat in the ring told him, well, you know what, I don't know if I have time right now, but I'm definitely interested. Uh, keep my name in your mind. 
And if I can work it around, I would, wouldn't mind doing it. Uh, one thing led to another, and he had he got me and a couple other guys he knows roped in doing the Krypton podcast. Uh, due to their own reasons, they had to back out of it, so left me doing it by myself. Well, not doing it yet, but talking about it. So I threw my rope out there, and I lassoed a buddy of mine, uh, Pat Sampson, who's been on my G.I. Joe podcast, and he's also got his own podcast, The Long Box Crusade. And we're looking for a third co-host at this point as we speak, as I record this, but coming soon, probably maybe this summer, uh, maybe early spring, I'm not sure yet, or early fall, not sure when yet, we'll be coming out with the Krypton podcast, the new podcast looking at Krypton, the new sci-fi show. Coming soon. Watch for it. But anyways, that's the origins of the Head Speaks podcast and the Headcast Network family of shows. Hope you learned something. Hope you enjoyed it. That little trip down memory lane. Uh, it's been about 20 minutes, so I'm going to go ahead and play a promo for another show, and we'll be right back with you. Head Speaks will be back after these important messages. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles! Hi, I'm Tim from Cord Industries, the Blue Beetle blog. I'm here to tell you about an exciting new addition to the Silver and Gold family of podcasts. The show is Beatlemania, and it focuses on what is arguably one of the greatest superheroes in all of comics history, Blue Beetle. From the adventures of Dan Garrett the Cop in the 1930s to Dan Garrett the Archaeologist in the 1960s, from everyone's favorite Ted Cord to the more recent adventures of Jaime Reyes, we'll be covering the entire legacy of the Blue Beetle. And I won't be doing it alone. Joining me for this epic journey through the lives of the Blue Beetle will be Jay from the Silver and Gold Podcast. Together, we'll be discussing, reviewing, and celebrating the awesomeness of all of the Beatles. Beatlemania, coming soon to SNGpod.com and cordindustries.blogspot.com. This is Jared Albrick, a.k.a. The Yard Sale Artist, with a quick podcast promo for my show, Comics with Normies. Here's how the show works. Using my yard sailing skills, I acquire a random comic book from a yard sale. I then give said random comic to a normie, a normie being a person who doesn't normally read comic books. Then, on the show, I'll sit down with the normie to discuss the issue, get a real outsider's point of view, and see what some of the comics that we love, and maybe not love so much, seem like to those normal folks we see walking around on the streets each day. It should be a fun perspective, and good for a few laughs. You can check out the Comics with Normies podcast, along with some other fun-filled podcasts from White Rocket Entertainment, on iTunes and at whiterocket.podbean.com. And feel free to join the show using Twitter handle at Normies Podcast or on Facebook at Comics with Normies. Once again, you can find Comics with Normies on iTunes and at whiterocket.podbean.com. We'll see you there. And now back to Head Speaks. And now it's time for 
than a speeding bullet. In the great hall of the Justice League. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. The Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is... What's in Head Longbox. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. The world's greatest super friends. And welcome back to What's in Head's Longbox. This time out, we're going to take a look at... Superhero scientist Ray Palmer, trapped at six inches tall in the Amazon rainforest, the Sword of the Atom. Well, the next issue, of course, Sword of the Atom, special number two. The cover date on this was just 1985, but it was on sale May the 2nd of 1985. The price for this issue was $125. Um, this one here doesn't have any actual story title other than Sword of the Atom. The writer on this is, once again... Jan Strand, the artist Gil Kane, letterer John Costanza, colorist Thomas J. Zuko, editor Alan Gold, and the cover was done by Gil Kane. And this too was also reprinted in the Sword of the Atom trade paperback from 2007. I really need to see if I can get that. I've got that to actual individual issues, but I like to have it in a handy trade paperback form. Anyways, onto the story itself. Here's the synopsis. The Atoms relating a tale about how while they were rebuilding New Morlade, they were attacked by warriors on warbirds. These warriors had been attacking other tribes that had popped up after Morlade had been destroyed. They would steal the women and kill the men that tried to stop them. When they attacked New Morlade, they took Lewathan. Adam questioned the one lone surviving warrior and discovered that their leader, Torbol, has implanted chips in his people that can monitor them and kill them with a small bomb. That apparently the wall would steal in a couple of years. For information what I mean by that remark, check out my Task Force X podcast where I talk about the uh, Suicide Squad. It came out a couple years after this. Uh, back to the story. The only reason he can talk freely is that his injuries damaged the implant. If they could destroy the equipment, Torvald's own man would join Adam against him. Then their captive died from his injuries. We get to present time where we see the Adam has been relaying the tale to his buddy Norman and Paul. Yes, the Paul that Gene was cheating with. Paul then tells his own story. He says that Gene was having Ray stuff moved out. Uh, one of the workmen tripped and activated the shrinking ray, which shrunk Gene down. Not sure how to use the machine properly, they decided to hunt down Ray to have him help them restore her to normal. Once arriving in the jungles, they, too, were attacked by Tor Torbo's men. Gene was captured, and their guides ran away. Paul blames Ray for everything, and, of course, Ray agrees. He then gives his size-changing belt to Paul and shows him how to work it, just in case anything happens to him. Meanwhile, we cut to the prison where Loathan is being held, who, at this point, is meeting her new roommate, Gene Loring. Ray's ex-wife and the Adam's current uh, girlfriend begin conversing with each other. As Ray, Norman, and Paul are going over plans to rescue their lady loves, they once again are attacked by the warbirds. 
Norman accidentally drops the transmitter that they were going to plant on one of the birds, and Paul gets pulled overboard by one of the birds, shrinking down in the process. Not able to defeat the Pinkskins, one of the warriors calls off the attack. Torbo, meanwhile, is watching this, and he detonates the bomb in the man's head that called off the attack without the orders to do so. He then goes to the cells to examine the wild women that were brought in. As one of the guard takes Lilithan to get cleaned up and brought to Torbol, we go back to Ray and Norman discussing a Sectilian detector that Ray had used to find Old Morlade. Ray has an idea of how to use this device to locate the belt and in turn his friends. After finding Turnbull's castle, Adam and Voss dress as warriors and infiltrate the stronghold, leaving Norman as backup. Once inside, they get stopped as one of the guards notice that Adam is a pink skin and in an area that he shouldn't be in. Once him and Voss are scanned, the guards discover that they don't have a chip in them. The two men are exposed and are taken to Torbal. Meanwhile, by shrinking down, Paul is able to sneak into Jean's cell. He then shrinks them both down to help escape her cell. As they make their exit, they're stopped by several guards. Paul then sets the belt to enlarge and starts growing bigger and bigger, crushing the walls and ceiling. Back in front of Torbal, he's laying out his plans to Adam. He informs our hero that once he starts his breeding program, everyone that is born will have an implant. He'll be able to see through everyone's eyes. Adam knocks Torbal back in defiance, which unfortunately allows Torbal to reach his machine. Turning a switch, causing everyone, everyone to enter a murderous rage and attack the Atom. Ray Palmer throws an axe in the machine, destroying it, and Torbal's influence over the populace. Ray again knocks Torbal down, which now allows Torbal to be within grabbing distance of Leuathan. Torbal pulls a knife and pets it to the princess's neck. Before he can cut her throat, the floor starts cracking as Paul comes busting through. As Torbal tells his people to kill the giant, Loathan smacks him upside the head with her chains. Ray and everyone else walks away, leaving Torbal amongst his ruins, ranting about how all traitors deserve death. At this, one of his ex-guards shoots an arrow through his mouth, killing him. Gene and Paul head back to America, where Gene discovers that Paul still has Adam's belt. And he might use it again one day. Back with Adam and Loathan, she's informing him that Gene kept talking about her lawn back home, and how she thinks that she'll have Jean Center one. The story ends with Adam carrying Loithan off into the sunset. The end. And now for my thoughts on this. As usual, we'll start off the cover because the cover is where you start. Uh, we see the title, the Sword of the Atom. On the cover we have the Atom in his Sword of the Atom garb, holding up a sword, getting ready to strike at a uh, one of the warriors on the Warbirds. Again, as usual, a great cover. It uh, kind of tells us what's going on with the story. We get a little bit of the jungle behind it. Not much. It's a good close-up showing the bird. And the, the warrior coming down, attacking Adam. Like I said, Adam's got a sword raised, ready to swing down at the warrior that's attacking him. And I like the way the story actually starts out. Uh, Adam's looking at us as he's staying on a piece of equipment of some sort. And we find out, as I talk about in the synopsis, we find out later he's telling the story too, but the story starts out like he's talking to us. So it makes you feel more like you're a part of the story because it feels like Ray's talking to you and telling you what's going on. And like how Ray says that, you know, they, after Morlade was destroyed, they broke into various uh, 
little, what do you call them here, uh, various tribes. And he talks about how, you know, these people used to live in a city, even though they're in the middle of a jungle. They were in a city, and now they're actually living out in the jungle, surviving in the jungle, instead of being city folk, as it were. But also, like, it would be true that after, you know, banding together originally, living under the tyranny they experienced under Kalak and Daguerre's, they would be a little hesitant about all banding together and and possibly having something like that crop up again, having to deal with that whole tyranny again. So it would make sense that they, they'd be hesitant to all live together like they used to. Then we move on to page four where uh, Adam is talking about how they attacked New Morlade. And even though he had told Lewathan to stay inside of the rest of the women, she came out and attacked anyways. And that's a very... I don't want to say chauvinistic way to do it. You know, Lewathan, you have to stay inside of the rest of the women. Let the men handle this. But seeing how these bird warriors were attacking and stealing the women, while it may seem kind of chauvinistic, it makes sense. And as I've talked about on some other podcasts of mine, or on other episodes of Head Speaks, I, I don't care about what some of these feminists say that, you know, men or women are just equal as men. Yes, men and women are equal for the most part, but there is some things that men are better at, and there's some things that women are better at. That's just the nature of men and women. Uh, and I'm not going to get that whole subject right now. I've already talked about that, but... Uh, it just again this was a comic from the 80s I, I wonder if we're getting backlash if this came out nowadays with this type of you know the dialogue in here about how she needs to stay hidden with the women again it makes sense but our politically correct climate and the what they call social justice warriors I'm afraid some of them would have a field of some of the stuff in here but uh, again it makes sense for him to have her hide away and it it fits Lathan's character to say, you know, heck with that. I'm going out and I'm going to help defend my city. Because she is the princess or queen, or I don't know how they really referred to her. But uh, she was a ruler type, so it would make sense for her to want to go out and defend her people. And then we get to page uh, six, where they're interrogating one of the, the men that was captured... Uh, all the people that didn't escape they were all killed during the attack except for this one guy but he was severely injured and he tells a story about how Torbol, their leader has uh, chips or something implanted in their head and because uh, with a small explosive charge one of my first questions about this issue is I, I don't know where Torbal got the equipment, the explosive, and the ability to... Uh... And again, these aren't savages. They're aliens, as we found out. I think it was the first or second issue of the Sword of the Atom miniseries that crashed on Earth. So it's just they're living in a jungle. And from everything I've seen in the Sword of the Atom miniseries... It didn't seem like, I mean, yes, they had a city, and they had a few, you know, but it wasn't very technologically advanced. So I, I don't know where 
Torbal got all these monitors he uses to monitor these people and the little cameras and I don't know I just that'd be one question I have with the logic of the story is where Torbal got the the equipment and all this to do everything he does my second question is I hinted about in the synopsis I wonder if Amanda Waller stole his idea for the Suicide Squad implanting little bombs in her people and, and so she can blow their head off if they don't listen but <laughs> but I do like the fact that the, this guy they captured you know he, he's glad to be free I, I don't know how and again Torbold must be very charismatic because, I mean, to get these people willing to pet these chips and these bombs inside their head, unless they didn't realize it was a bomb to begin with. I don't know how that worked out, how he convinced them to go along with all the surgery to implant the stuff in their head. Uh, this guy seems very much uh, happy that he's going to be free of Torbold and his, his influence. So I, I don't know how... Uh, again, the, just the logistics of buying, behind Torbo implanting all these people and how he got away with the house and didn't, you know, realize, what the, hell, what the hell are we doing? Let's not, let's stop doing this. But, again, it's one of the things you have to accept as part of the premise of the story, I guess. Uh, I don't know, I, just, yeah, I guess you just have to accept it for the premise of the story. Because he says, you know, if you could free him from his control his people would be willing to side with Adam against Torbal, but they were willing enough to begin with to get the implants. I don't know, just a little odd. And then we get to page seven, and we find out who Adam's talking to. He's talking to Norman Brawler, his friend, and Paul Hoboken, again, the, the guy that Gene basically left Ray for, even though I guess Ray left her when he went to the jungles, but anyways, I, I've kind of talked about that whole situation. I'm not again getting into that right now, but find out that Paul and Jean got married, and right after they got married, Jean was dismantling his lab back at the university, and I'm just rereading this uh, again. I read this, I don't know how many times in the past. And it's Paul saying that they were dismantling his lab back at the university was her top priority. She felt like it was an exorcism. Uh, Jean was a lawyer, and Paul was a lawyer. That's how they met. So I don't know why. And again, this would be my, my next issue with this it book, the story, is that I don't know, since she was at the university, it says, I, I don't know why she was there while the dismantling was going on. I mean, she could have asked for anything that belonged to her or that Ray left her. As she's talking to him, she says, that's the last of the stuff the university paid for. He goes in the basement, asks for the rest of it. Junk, sell it for scrap, I don't care what you do with it, but get it out of my life. I, this may be a problem with the story. And again, it's not a huge... Because again, I, I, I first read this story, I don't remember, 20, 30 years ago. And I've read it several times since then. And again, with my podcasting goggles on for reviewing it, 
something strange, as I mentioned, has jumped out at me that, you know, she apparently she's at the university overseeing the destruction of this man in the lab. And again, she, there's nothing that she really wants. She tells him to junk it, scrap it, whatever the university doesn't want, because the university paid for it. I, I don't know why she would be there other than just to be into the middle of everything. I mean... See, that's, now it's bothered me now that I really noticed that and paying attention. It's it's settled in my head. If she was that eager to get rid of it, she should have just left well enough alone and said, you know, well, university, you can do what you want with this stuff. I'm out of it. Of course, again, if that would have happened, the story wouldn't have happened, so we're here for plot contrivance. So, again, I don't want to make a big deal about it, but I am because that's what podcasters do. And the second issue with this whole scene is they started dismantling the equipments, but they didn't unplug everything. They left the machines plugged in, it sounds like. So not only they, they left the cords plugged in, someone actually bumped into the... One of these workmen bumped into the, the switch, turns it on, and Gene happened to be standing right in the way of the beam. Again, I know it's story contrivance, and that's the way a lot of these stories have to happen. It's got to have that story contrivance for it to move on and for to get where it's at. But it's just a little, you know, Jean's at the university overseeing something that she's not really responsible for. She happens to be staying right in the right spot. They didn't unplug the equipment before they started undoing everything. Again, I love this story, don't get me wrong. It just... As I'm reviewing this as a podcaster, some of these these little quirks on it just jump out at me. So as I talked about, due to a bunch of different contrivances, Gene was shrunk down, and they get us to this point in the story where uh, Norman and Paul and Gene go looking for Ray because, again, they don't know how the equipment works, they're afraid of messing anything up. So they have to find Ray to enlarge Gene again. And here on page 9, where they're telling the story about how They were searching for Ray, and they were attacked by the Birdman, and the Birdman steals Gene. It looks like the color's messed up or something, because as the Birdman steals Gene from Paul, it looks like she's almost nude or maybe in her bra and panties. <laughs> and I'm sure it's just a coloring mistake. Uh, the last time we see her, she's in a, a purplish mini-dress thing. Actually, it's saying it's just a color because I'm not quite sure. On page 7 when they show her dress and the top of page 8, her dress is green. And then here at the bottom of page 8, when she shrunk down sitting on Paul's hand, it looks like it's almost a red or a purple or something. And then when the Birdman attack here on page 9, it's flesh tone. So I'm sure it's just a coloring mistake, but uh, again, Jean, uh, she's 6 inches tall, but as uh, our buddy the irredeemable Shad would say she's hot but enough about the nearly naked Jean uh, <laughs> so the guard the guides ran off after Jean was snatched leaving Paul and Norman alone not sure what to do until Ray showed up and told him a story which just brings up to the present time and so after Paul relates his story uh, he proves he's a, a scum sucking lawyer and he starts going on a tirade against Palmer, telling him that he holds him responsible. 
If it wasn't for his insane preoccupation of shrinking things, Gene wouldn't be in this fix. He said, I know you're a local hero in these books. I read Roman's books. I know you defeated Dejerus and saved Lathan's people. But in real life, it stinks. Your adventure cost you a marriage. Now, just when your ex-wife's on the verge of a stable, happy relationship, your experiments taken it away. It may have cost you his life, her life. And Ray takes it. He says, I get the point, Paul. You're right. That is my fault. Sometimes belts like a magic pistol. Whoever wears it demands to be used. I'm going to take a break right here, and I'm going to do something that Ray's not doing and stick up for him. Uh, yes, Ray's heroing helped destroy their marriage. But again, to have a, a good marriage, it's a two-way street. To destroy a marriage, yeah, one person can do it. But again, as I talked about back when I did the miniseries, Jean knew what she was getting into. You know, again, if she... It just bothers me to put all the blame on Ray. Because, again, Jean knew that he was a hero. She knew he was the Adam. It was exciting. It was fun until it wasn't. And then she got bored with it. And instead of talking with about it, instead of, you know, trying to work things out, she goes and she screws Paul behind Ray's back. In my book, as I talked about during the, again, the miniseries... Uh, especially that first issue, Jean's just as guilty as Ray is on destroying their marriage. And part of my, uh, I don't want to say anger, because it's a comic book, but I do get a little annoyed at Ray taking the fall for this. And it may be having to do with me being uh, divorced at one time. So I, I can see where Ray's coming from. Uh, again, it's not all his fault. And as far as Jean, be, Jean being shrunk down, uh, again, unless the story missed something that told us why she was at the university overseeing the dismantling of race project not that she wanted anything from there the things the university didn't want she said to get rid of but why was gene there i mean well here's his lab if if case someone from the school couldn't show him okay i'm out of here and leave him to it because it's i don't get it was the university that bought the stuff it was at the university Unless I'm missing something, and maybe there's something in the old Adam stories that I haven't read that explains why Gene would be there. Gene had no f***ing right to be there bossing people around. If she'd let the university take care of the university stuff, and she stayed away, she wouldn't have been there to be shrunk down. And then whoever's dismantling the this, this stuff, if they had the brains of an ant... They would have unplugged the machines. And again, maybe it didn't run on electrical power like that. Maybe it had some of its own internal power. It talks about how someone may have, must have tripped over a cord and turned it on. That's why I'm thinking it was plugged into electricity. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it had its own independent power source and you couldn't un turn off the power. But again, I just it's hard for me to say it's all Ray's fault that Gene got shrunk down. The marriage is destroyed. And it bothers me a little bit that Ray's just sitting there taking this abuse, I'm doing in air quotes, from uh, Paul. Uh, Paul, And Paul's not completely innocent in the destruction of Ray's marriage. I mean, he knew Jean Loring was married. Whether she was happy or not, that's an entirely different subject. That's not 
really a matter. She was a married woman, and he was screwing around with her. He's just as culpable as Gene and Ray for the marriage failing. If he hadn't been fooling around with a married woman, again, I'm sure their marriage wasn't last going to last long anyways the way it was headed, if they didn't get some help, but Paul's not an innocent bystander that happened to stumble upon this you know, divorced woman and you know, hook up with her. He hooked up with her when she was married. So this whole sanctimonious, it's all your fault, just annoys the hell out of me. And again, it, it kind of always bugged me, but now rereading this and looking at it further and reading all these issues at one, not one time, but you know, over the months like I have, and I don't know, it just really bothers me to see Paul, t- and again, maybe it's because Adam is one of my favorite characters. I don't know what it is, but it, just, it really annoys the heck out of me that Paul's trying to lay all this at Ray's feet. And again, Ray's taking it, and he says, you know, he couldn't, self, he couldn't uh, bring himself to throw it away, even though he knows if he used it again, it would kill him. As we talked about, uh, I believe it was the last episode, the first issue, uh, the first special, when Ray determined that, you know, shrinking down is causing damage to his body. And he gives it to G, uh, Paul, tells him how to work it, and tells him that, you know, even though you don't want to use it, you may need, if something happens to me, you need how to work it in case... You need, yeah, you know, we need to get Gene back to regular size, and I'm not there for whatever reason. Uh, and so he gives it to Paul, and I like just, I like this here at the top of page 11. He's like, It's yours, Paul. If you only use it to hold up your pants up, that's okay by me. But if you only show you how to work it, I will. And Paul's like, Well, that certainly didn't turn out like I expected. This guy should have been a lawyer. Okay, Palmer, the prosecution rests. How do you work this blame thing? Not that I ever plan to use that information. And so he, sh- he shows Paul how to use the belt so he can shrink down, or use, Gene can use it to grow back to regular size. And, uh... Oh, maybe, Ray, you know, again, if it had been me instead of Ray, I would have went off on Paul, like I went on, you know, was talking to you guys about this, about how it's not all Ray's fault. But the way Ray handled it things kind of worked out between the two so they could work together to save Gene. So, uh, again, maybe Ray's instincts was better than mine. But it just, it, that whole thing annoys me. But anyways, let's move on from there. Uh, then we get here on page 11. And they're throwing Gene down in the cells. And as they're throwing her in there, one of these guys says, Ha, huh, don't tell me Torbo's going to mate us with pink skins. Where'd you get her? And they say she's talking, jabbering a giant talk, which is English, because again, they're they're from an alien planet, so of course they're speaking an alien language. And the way they talk here and later on, uh, they're throwing the cage, and uh, one of the guards is saying, Torpin must be crazy taking this one. Who'd want a pink skin for a wife, especially a wild thing like this? And they talk like they've had experiences with, with regular people before, or as they call them, pinkskins. And again, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're in the middle of the, the uh, South American jungles. I, I don't know where they would have came encounter with pinkskins before. 
I mean, Ray would have been the first pink skin. Gene would have been the second pink skin they would have interacted with. But again, here, and I think in a few pages here more, they make a comment about like pink skins, they deal with them all the time. So I'm just, again, another little quibble with the story that where do these pinks, all these pink skins they, they seem to be dealing with coming from. And maybe it's just the way I'm reading it. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. But he, he doesn't say, you know, Torbo's going to mate us with a pink skin. He says, Torbo's going to, don't tell me Torbo's going to mate us with pink skins. Like maybe there's more of them out there. So I don't know. Maybe there's another branch out there with, of humans that are shrunk down. I, I don't know. I don't quite know. <sighs> I'm not quite sure about these references about pink skins why like there's so many of them and it's them in the cage like I said the, the one guard's saying yeah it must be crazy I'm getting sick of this whole business if we join the other colonies we wouldn't have to help kidnap women if her wasn't so power hungry and this guard's like shut up trouble could just kill me for just listening to treason like that which goes back to my point earlier about if Torbo's such a horrible person and him spying on them is such a bad thing, why did they go along with it in the first place? But again, for the contrivance of the story, we're going to let that bypass. Uh, so as I said, they throw Gene in the cage with Lathan. Uh, so we got Ray's ex-wife in his, for- in his current... Whatever she is, I don't know if they've gotten married in the jungle or if it's just his girlfriend. Uh, but again, we got two hot women here. Uh, very nice. And then here on page 13, Lathan talks with Gene. And I guess if I had paid attention, they answer the question here. Gene's talking to him, talking to Lathan. Said everyone treats you like some kind of sausage. Savage. Wow, I can't read. She's some kind of savage because she doesn't understand the language. And she's like, but how does you speak English? And the word bubbles here don't really match up. It looks like it's part of Gene's, but looking at it, it's actually... Lawathan, which answers my earlier comment that I don't know if they're married or not. She does call him her husband. She says, my husband's pink skin like yourself. He used to speak English when we first met. And Gene's like, this husband. Just a guess. He wasn't from a place called Ivytown by any chance. And Lawathan's like, Ivytown, yes. He spoke of it often. He said it was very boring. (laughs) And so she's like, yes, then you must know Adam. And she's like, a little. My name is Jean. Jean Loring. Jean Loring Palmer. Oh, Adam's old wife. And Jean's like, well, older than you, maybe. We have a few good years left. And all the way it's like, forgive me, Jean. My English fails me sometimes. I have to speak uh, without um, going around. Bluntly, straight to the point. Yes, to the point. And to the point is, I don't like you here. I wish you'd stay in Ivy Town. And Jean's like, all the way then, so do I. Believe me. So do I. So I like, you know, Ray and, Ray's wife and ex-wife are getting to know each other a little bit here. And then here on page 15, uh, we get Ray's plan to find Lathan and Jean. Uh, they're shooting flares in the sky, trying to attract the attention of the, the bird riders, or skull riders, as they call them. And we find out that Ray tra- uh, rigged up a little tracking device. They're going to try to slip on one of the skull riders. And as Norman's holding it up, admiring it, uh, they're attacked by the bird riders all of a sudden, the skull riders, sorry. And one of them jabs 
Norman right above the eye, which makes him drop the transmitter onto the deck. And before he gets a chance to get to it, they have to fight off the birds. And Paul grabs one of the birds, and it takes try it takes off, pulling Paul with him, and Paul gets falling over the uh, edge of the ship. The boat they're on. And as Paul is taken away by one of the birds, Adam's fighting one of the Skull Riders, and the transmitter gets knocked off over the side into the water. And again, they have a little fight-fight, little battle here. And when all said and done, they realize that the transmitter's gone. And Paul's gone also. And they're trying to figure out what happened to Paul. Uh, Norman thinks he fell overboard because he's hanging on to one of the birds, as I mentioned. And Ray's like, well, if you didn't go over the side, we'd be able to see him. Why don't you grab the railing? And Voss tells him that he had the skull in one hand, and his other hand... My God, Adam, his other hand was on the belt. And that's something I was going to mention earlier, I forgot. Uh, a couple of times in here, the, these... Uh, I forget their race offhand, what the, their species is, but the, the little people, Voss, his people, they've mentioned God a couple of times. I don't know if, if God's supposed to be a, a universal aspect, or if it's like with Superman, they're saying it's like Ray or something like that. And since it's translating into English for us, it translates to whatever they're saying for their God into God. I don't know. Because it'd be, I mean, weird that, or I'm not weird, but odd that an alien culture would also worship the same God that a lot of humans worship. So I, I don't know, just, again, just something that struck, you know, if you think about it, it just jumps out a little funny. And then we go back to, on page 21, we see Torbal uh, watching the Bird Riders return. And he's watched the attack. He saw them break off the attack without being told to. So to punish him, he kills that guard, or that, that not guard, that, that soldier. Because again, you know, Torbal says we must have order in order to demand control. And again, I don't, I don't know how stupid these people were willing to let someone put a, a, a bomb and something to monitor them in their head. I mean, I know, again, Suicide Squad, which I review over on my Task Force X podcast, Mandalore, Pet Bombs, and all of them, but they didn't have much of a choice. I'm just, I'm just thinking of that concept of someone implying a bomb in your head. And like I said, I guess, I guess they do have a choice. Not much of one, though, because they, they want to work off their time. They want to get free sooner, so... I, I don't know. I'm kind of curious the background on Torbal and how he convinced these guys to let him hit a bomb in their head. And then Torbal goes down to see the women that's been captured. And again, here's another comment along what I said earlier. Uh, he comes in, he says, uh, which of these Hellcats? Or these are the Hellcats. Which one belongs to the pink skin warrior Adam? Lewathan says, yeah, it's me, Adam's wife, that's what you mean. And Torbal's like, yes, that's what I thought. As soon as a pink skin forgets his place, he takes a golden woman. Uh, again, so Torbo makes it sound like there's a lot more pink skins than just Ray and Jean out there. Uh, so I'm just kind of curious where these other pink skins are at, how they ran into them. Uh, it makes me curious about a little more of the background about that. Even though I say we're not, we never find out anything more about pink skins than I'm aware of. 
It just makes me curious. And so he wants her cleaned up and brought to him in chains. The other they're going to throw in a lottery. And while he's away, again, one of the guards tells him that he only has a few minutes to speak. That he has friends. Watch for the time. You know, watch for their time to act. And so they take Lathan away, leaving Jean in her cell to lament. You know, they took poor Lathan away just because he shattered his wife. And she moans how not too long ago it would have been her. Loving Ray is like some kind of curse. When the curse entered Lathan, why didn't it leave me? Because as Frank, known to the podcasting community as Diablo Frank, has said over his podcast, you're a bit of a Gene. And then we find ourselves back with Adam, Norman, and Voss as Norman tells him how he's able to find Ray. Uh, he used this Catalian detector to help him find where Morlade was at. But since the new Morlade doesn't have any of Ray's, uh, the white dwarf particle there, that's what he's using to detect, he doesn't know how to get to new Morlade. And so Norman explains to him that, you know, how he found him. Because the white dwarf star fueled old Morlade's power plant. And when Adam's body was saturated with it, he wandered through the jungle. And the place where he fell became radioactive, so he used the detector to find that spot. And Ray uses that knowledge and says, well, we can use the detector to find the dwarf star radiation in the belt. So they can use this to find out where Paul went to, which would be the Skull Riders base. So we cut to page 24 where they've arrived at the base of the Skull Riders. And Ray and Voss dress up in Skull Rider outfits and break in or sneak in. And here at the bottom of page 25, I said about halfway down, they're trying to sneak in. As they're sneaking in, Voss tells Ray to keep his pink chin down. And as they're coming in, one of the guards stops him and says, Halt, pink skin, you're in violation. The sector is closed to your type. You pink skins are getting harder to handle every day. We keep passing laws and you keep breaking them, huh? He checks their implants and he finds out that they're not, that their implants aren't working. When they look, they find there's no scars, which means they're not a citizen. But that's all fine. My question at this point is, again, as I mentioned earlier, this is another comment being made that apparently there's a lot of pink skins around. Or if not a lot, at least there's more than just Adam and his wife or ex-wife. So, again, I'm curious where these other six-inch high pink skins, which I'm assuming are humans, came from and where they're at now because we don't see any in this story. So it's just, it makes me question where these other miniature pink skins, as they call them, are coming from. Who they are, why, why they're... Because I, I thought that and maybe... And again, I've never really thought much about it reading this in the past, but with my podcasting reviewing goggles on, it just makes me wonder about, you know, all this, I don't know, it just, the more I think about it, the more it kind of bothers me and it makes me wonder where all these pink skins came from. Unless maybe there are this race of aliens 
maybe there are some pigskins among them, but we've never seen them highlighted anywhere. And Jan Strand, the one that wrote this book, wrote the miniseries. So I, I, don't, I don't know, just a little bit of a, a continuity glitch, if you will. A little story glitch there that kind of bothers me. Especially the more I read it, the more I think about it. It just it makes me wonder. But moving on from a little glitch there. Uh, we get, like I said in the synopsis, Paul shrinks down really small and uh, sneaks into Jean's cell. And so one of the guards is feeding her a bowl of, I don't know what it is, soupish type stuff, maybe some bread. And as Jean picks it up, she's like, hey, there's something crawling around my plate. What's that supposed to be, extra protein? So it's kind of funny that she can joke around at a time like this. And Paul starts talking to her, and that small, she can't make it out. She hears a little man talk to her. So, of course, her first instinct is, it's Ray coming to rescue her. And then when Paul starts growing large as a regular size, well, I say regular size, six inches high, he, uh, she stumbles back surprised. It's kind of funny. And he makes a very good point here that when she's talking to him, he tells her that her, her voice, when he's that size, sounds like a jet, a low-flying jet. I never really thought about that before, but yeah, I guess if you're close enough to someone that small, if you're talking like an ant, because that's kind of the size he was, it would be really loud to them. Just like someone that small talking would be really low. And as Paul's trying to rescue her, he's telling her how he got in there. He shrunk down really small. It was jumping from person to person like a flea. And he makes a comment that this size-changing uh, stuff could be habit-forming. He goes on thinking about what a lawyer could do with it. He's dropping into judge's chambers. And she just turns her back to him and is like, I don't want to hear it. Because, again, she's lived with the Adam for all these years. And she blames the Adam. And the whole size-changing thing for everything. So, of course, looking at it from her point of view... Yeah, she wouldn't want to hear more about size-changing adventures and what you could do with that belt because again even though i again i think she's wrong in her thinking but in her her mind that's what ruined her marriage that's what caught her in this position so again coming from that angle i, I could see why she would be upset and wouldn't want to even entertain the idea even though again i think she's wrong but and as they're escaping uh Paul's explained the plan about how he can shook him way down and if anyone sees him, he disappeared. And Gene smarts off, oh yeah, real slick. Did you think that by yourself or did Ray help you? And he's like, I don't know, honey. If I didn't love you so much, I think you might have a real attitude problem. And again, she explains that, you know, the shrinking, it's like a roller coaster fun the first few times, but after the 50th ride, it just makes you sick. And uh, again, and as I said before, uh, Diablo Frank, if I remember right, when he talked about this on his podcast, uh, he had a term for her back then, and I think it still applies. Uh, again, like I said it earlier, uh, she can be a bit of a... Uh, you better watch it, Paul. You're in for some real trouble with that one. But anyways, uh, what's done is done. As they're trying to escape, a guard sees them. And Gene tells him to shrink down, and Paul's like, I've got a better idea. And as he starts growing, he's like, buzz off, shorty. Restaurant's closed. And he's growing bigger and bigger. And as more guards come, 
Uh, he tells her to get underneath him that his body protector, and he starts growing larger and larger, trying to break the place apart. And as he's growing, we cut to the throne room, as I talked about, where Adam and Voss is facing down a Torbal, Loathan sitting there in chains, uh, looking kind of like Princess Leia from Return of the Jedi. And again, look very hot. That's another story entirely. And again, Torbal makes another comment here. You have your, ner- you have your nerve, Adam. You, a pink skin, trying to pass one of my skull riders? I'd laugh at the thought if it wasn't such an insult. And uh, here's the name of their planet, Cathara. Again, I'm I'm pausing there because uh, once again, Torbal's making a comment about pink skins like they're uh, a bunch of them around. I just don't see them. So I'm just curious. It makes me wonder and curious about that. And then we find out here a little bit more that the Skull Riders, he says, were the best warriors on Cathara. Uh, like all the subjects, they were exiled for crimes against the state. Their will was considered indomitable until they were placed under my command, and until they were given implants. So, kind of like Amanda Wall over the Suicide Squad, which again I talk about monthly on my Task Force X podcast. Uh, like Amanda, it sounds like he forces this upon them. They don't have a choice, which answers my earlier question about why someone would do that. Uh, Much like the Suicide Squad, they don't have much of a choice in it, it sounds like. And then he says that once they begin the breeding program, every newborn child will receive an implant when it's born. So they won't know a day without his voice. So that kind of matches my question there that I guess I forgot as I read this. And again, I talked about the rest of the synopsis as they get a little fight. Adam pushes into the machine which he activates, causing the people to attack uh, Ray and Voss. And like I said, again, in the synopsis, Ray's pick, Ray's? Ray picks up an axe that one of the guards drops, and he throws in the machine, destroying it. And again, they scuffle a little bit, and Torbal falls down next to Loathan and threatens to kill her. And as he's sitting there with a knife next to her throat, the floor starts cracking, and Paul comes busting up through the floor, and I like this, he comes busting through the floor, he's like, and not a moment too soon, from the look, look of things, give me, a, give me a hint, Adam, whom do I squash first? And Torbal's like, no, this is impossible, defend your master, spear the giants. And Loathan comes up with a change, which are broken now, and just smacks him upside the head. She's like, it's no good, Torbal, your voice means nothing to them now. And I think seeing the, the, his building collapse and his machines broken, people no longer in control, along with the, the blow to the head he received, is kind of driven a little insane. Because he keeps saying the machines belong to me, they're mine, I control the machines, and he's trying to use the machines that are broke to order people around. And Ray says Get, he's lost everything that matters to him. As I said, uh, his mind can't accept that, it snapped. And he's telling my he's trying to command people to do things. He's calling them traitors. And I like this, he's like, You're traitors, all of you traitors. I hereby pass sentence on you. The sentence is death. Death to all traitors. Death to all traitors. Death. And also there's a really cool shot here on page 37 of an arrow flying right through his mouth. Uh, dark purple blood, it looks like, as far as the color wise. 
comes gushing out of the front of his mouth at the back of his head where the sword uh, the arrow's coming through and Adam's first thought is Voss he's like Voss did you I didn't kill him Adam and then we see one of his archers like you had it right trouble death to all traitors and you're the biggest traitor of all you betrayed your government your people and your own humanity you betrayed yourself so again I like the fact that Torble, he went insane and then one of his own people in quotes killed him and then finally there's all this carnage and finally uh, Norman comes walking up Adam I'm here I walked right in no trouble at all is uh, is it over and then we cut back to uh, a few days later Gene and Paul are back in civilization Gene's got a dress on between Paul and Gene, we're getting some exposition, uh, much like they work for the Exhibition News Network. Uh, I believe that's trademark pending Michael Bailey of the From Crisis to Crisis podcast. And again, they let us know what's going on back with Ray and his friends. He says things turned out all right. She's back to normal. New Morlades established peaceful relations with the Skull Riders colony. And as they're going through security, the, the security gate starts going off. And they have Paul open his jacket. And we see that he's wearing the belt that Adam gave him. And uh, he's like, oh, the belt set it off. Adam gave it to me, you know. And she's like, I do now. And he's like, after all, Gene, you can't use it anymore. And it seems a shame just to throw it away. She's like, of course, a tragic waste. And, you know, he's trying to defend himself. She's like, sure, it's only a memento. Like a pack of matches or a bar of hotel soap. You wouldn't dream of using the stupid thing again. And as they walk away, he's like, oh, I wouldn't exactly say that. And the look and the shock on her face is priceless. Her eyes look a little off, or her eyeballs, but again, it's a great scene there. And as I talked about in the synopsis, we end with Ray and Lathan, uh, again, uh, discussing the events. And again, I like this, that as they're talking, uh, Ray tells her that the size control belt was the last link to that world but he let Paul have it he says he felt like uh, he felt clean like a curse had been lifted and well Ethan asks what Jean's going to say when she finds out Paul has it and Ray says well hopefully she'll convince him to donate it to a museum and I like this as they're talking uh, she tells Ray that uh, Jean warned her not to let him get near her laboratory she said it would be the end of the marriage and Ray's like, she would be right. I do get preoccupied sometimes. And I'm like, she's like, I'm not worried. Just let anything try to steal you from me. I could beat any rival in the jungle. <laughs> and he's like, the confidence of youth. And what makes you so remarkably invincible, my dear? Or is it a deep, dark secret? She's like, no secret. I fight dirty. <laughs> that's, and that's the last panel there. I like that. We end with a just a shadow of them walking in the sunset. A great story again I if you if you like Gil Kane's artwork it's got great artwork I know from what I've heard from some people Gil Kane can be a people can have you know some people care for him some people don't like him so if you're not a fan of Gil Kane you're not gonna like the artwork in this because it's very Gil Kane-ish but I, I personally like most of Gil Kane's work so I think it's great artwork like I say, the Lathan in her bikini is hot. Uh, Ray looks cool in his, his Sword of the Atom costume. Uh, the story itself was a fantastic story. Again, the only real problems I had 
was the main big problem I had that propped up every once in a while was them to refer to other pink skins. But I've cleaned about that enough during the issue. Uh, but I think that's about it for this issue. And then after the story wraps up, there's a, a page here from Alan Gold, the editor, and basically talked about the sort of that a mini series, what happened in the last issue, the first special, and basically said that they had a whole lot of uh, people writing in about it. Uh, he says, let me see, uh, second to the last paragraph, says he's not talking about a respectable amount of mail. I'm talking about no fewer than 500 pieces of correspondence. He stopped counting after that. He had a file folder filled overflowing, at least five inches thick. And so that's why the second issue came out. And again, he asked for people, you know, if you like this story to write in, let them know. And apparently they got enough requests because there is going to be a third issue we're going to talk about. Not next month. Next month we're going to cover briefly cover his appearances in the crisis, which happens in between these two issues. And then the following month, we'll get to the third issue of The Sword of the Atom. What do you guys think? Did you guys read this? Did you like it? Uh, give me your thoughts. Uh, if you have any explanation about all the extra peak skins that were mentioned, let me know what you think. I'm dying to hear from you. You can send your emails to head at headspeaks.com. If you, again, as I've said elsewhere, if you want to send me an MP3, MP3, I can play that on the air. Or send me your emails. Go to the Facebook page. Leave your thoughts on it. But let me know what you guys think about the Sword of the Atom special number two. Or even the first special or the miniseries. I'm eager to hear uh, your guys' thoughts on it. But for now, that's going to end this section. Hold on, guys. Head Speaks will be back after these important messages. A secret governmental organization operating behind the scenes. Task Force X. Task Force X is an off-the-books government strike team made up of convicts with no hope for release, serving as expendable agents for impossible missions. Succeed, and I'll shave time off your sentences. If we don't... You'll be dead. Any other stupid questions? The Suicide Squad ran by Amanda Waller. I'm Amanda Waller. I'm here to indoctrinate you convicts into our special forces. And there's Checkmate, ran by Harry Stein. This is the tales of DC Comics, Suicide Squad, and Checkmate. Mostly monthly from Headspeaks. Available on iTunes under Task Force X and under Headcasts over at headspeaks.com. We can also be found on Facebook and Google Plus under Task Force X. Task Force X. Check it out. Or you'll answer to the wall. Nobody screws the wall!
My name is Michael Bailey, and I am still kind of a bad geek. Not a fan of anime, never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I've ventured a little further into the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I've even managed to watch a little Doctor Who. I've also managed to not watch a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is. A crippling addiction that I may never recover from. Back in 2007, I started a podcast called Views from the Long Box to deal with this borderline personality disorder. Every week or so, I pick a particular comic or issue or character or whatever to talk about them, and then, well, I, I talk about them. It's kind of what a podcast is. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I'm joined by my semi-regular co-host, the Irredeemable Shag, or Thomas DJ, and the permanent semi-regular co-host, Andrew Leyland, and sometimes another friend from the podcasting and comic book world stops by to chat. The show is located at www. ViewsFromTheLongBox.com, where you can find old episodes and show notes and links to my other internet endeavors. You can also find the show on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter under the handle at Bailey's Podcasts. Views from the Longbox, a podcast about comic books or a desperate cry for help. You decide every Tuesday or so at www.ViewsFromTheLongbox.com. Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red Captain Adam Mr. Miracle Guy Gardner Booster Gold Blue Beetle Nort And many, many more. Justice League International Blahaha Podcast, coming March 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? And now back to Head Speaks. And now I present to you... in the sky I can go twice as high Take a look It's in a book A reading rainbow Who can read on the run and have lots of fun? Speed reader, speed reader Who can do a handstand and read everything on the newsstand? Speed reader, speed reader Speed reader Who can run forward and back and read everything in the stack? Speed reader, speed reader, speed reader, speed reader Here he comes, Ganao! Head and Head's Bookshelf. Today we're not going to have a full-blown review. I'm just going to briefly talk about a series of books I'm currently reading. 
this is the Cape High series of books from R.J. Ross. Uh, currently, R.J. Ross has released, it looks like book number 18 just came out. I've read the first 15. I am in the middle of book 16. Cape High is a young adult series. Yes, I, I tend sometimes to read young adult books if they're well written and about superheroes, of course. But uh, Cape High is a young adult series that tells a story about a school that is was created for kids of superheroes. Uh, each book is told from the perspective of one of the kids at the school or someone related to the school. The first book, which is called Supervillain Dad, uh, tells the story through the eyes of a young lady named Zoe, whose father is a supervillain called Techno. Techno can control electronics and technology. And he had two kids, Zoe and her twin brother Sonny, who when their mom was killed, in quotes, uh, was in a foster home. And it tells how they, they find their father and reunite with him. Uh, Techno is pet in a superhero jail and he's released on good behavior, if you will, because, you know, basically he's there because he wants to be. Uh, as he's mentioned and some of the other superheroes have mentioned, he could get out at any time. And so the Master Mental, one of the main leaders of the superhero community in this series, convinced Techno, well, didn't really convince him. He told him that he has a couple of kids that he didn't realize he had and that he would like Techno to head up Cape High a school for up-and-coming capes, as they call them. I don't want to see superheroes because that's part of the thing of the series of books. And I'll get into that now. Uh, this book, the series of books, looks at superheroing kind of like wrestling. I mean, you have good guys and bad guys. And for the most part, the bad guys, a lot of times, are friends with the good guys in the school. They're training superheroes and supervillains. And as long as you play by the rules, you let the heroes take you down. The supervillains are not really your average supervillain. If you do something really wrong and don't play by the rules, you get thrown in the cape cells. Uh, Techno, for instance, created a weapon of mass destruction and destroyed a huge amount of property. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he didn't kill anybody, but he wasn't playing by the rules, so he's hitting the cape cells. But for the most part, most of the, the villains, it's it's like a wrestling match. They do the fights, they rob things, not because they need the money, but or for revenge, or this or that, but they do it just for a show, much like wrestling is. But then you also have a few actual super villains out there that's, that when they get captured, they go to cape cells because they're actually bad guys. Uh, it's an interesting premise. It took me a little bit to get into it. Because I like your traditional superhero versus supervillain, where the supervillain is out to rob a bank, out for revenge, out for world domination. And you get some of that in here, but I had to uh, slip around a little bit and slide in the hole. Sometimes the supervillains are just petting on a show. Uh, like I say, it's written for a, young audience, a younger audience, so it's not really aimed at me, per se. 
but for the most part, I'm enjoying it. So as long as I'm enjoying it, I'll keep reading it. If you're a younger person, I definitely suggest, if you like superheroes, I, I suggest reading this series of books. If you're an older superhero fan like myself, you may or may not care for it. I've got some problems with some of the relationships in the book because a lot of the kids are 12, 13, 14, and I'm 47, so seeing kids getting romantically involved for the most part, kind of, I'm an old man. Uh, and not that it's handled tastefully, don't get me wrong, there's no sex or anything like that involved. Uh, they're talking about, you know, having crushes on people, and it's just, I'm like, wow, they're awful young to be, you know, dealing with that. And maybe it's because I'm, like I said, I've got a nine-year-old daughter, if, you, if you've heard me talk before. So she's getting close to that age. I just don't want her thanking me in that situation of having crushes on boys and all that. So that may be part of my motivation for being kind of uneasy with it. But don't get me wrong. The relationships portion of it is handled nicely. I mean, there's no blatant sex or anything like that in it. It's very, you know, young kid. I've got a crush on this one or, you know, this is my boyfriend. So I've got no problem with that. It's just, like I say, at first it was just a little odd reading about these young kids, you know, having crushes. But now that I think back back when I was 12, 13, 14, yeah, I guess it makes sense. Uh, and like I say, it's written, I don't want to say written amateurishly. I mean, she's a good writer, R.J. Ross. Uh, she seems to be a good writer. Again, it's just written more for a, a younger audience than me. So uh, the writing seems a little... I can't quite put the word on it, but overall, I say I, I've read the first 15. I'm on book 16, so I'm enjoying it. For the younger listeners out there, I definitely recommend this series. Uh, again, for the older ones, take a look at the first book or two and see what you think. You probably get it from your local library or buy it at your bookstore, Amazon, uh, wherever you get your books at. But again, it's called Cape High by R.J. Ross. Uh, book 18 just came out a month or so ago. Uh, definitely check it out. This gets the head seal of approval. And that's what's on Head's bookshelf. Enough about that. Let's move on to our next segment. On the mark, get set. We're riding on the internet. The internet is really, really great. For porn. For porn. What? There's always some new site. For porn. I browse all day and night. For porn. It's like I'm surfing at the speed of light. For porn. <laughs> Internet porn, Roman orgy scenes. Internet porn, dominatrix queens. Internet porn, girl on girl on girl on girl on girl on guy on sheep. Bet you're going surfing on the internet. Where is head going? So I've got something to admit to you people. I'm a bit of a retard at times. And I don't mean retard in a bad way. I'm just using that because it's a word I use. Uh, <laughs> I just spent about six, seven minutes recording a Where's Head Going for a show called Michael Bailey's Views from the Long Box. Uh, after I got done, I got checking, and I did the wrong show. I already talked about Michael Bailey's views from the long box, but it's still a Michael Bailey show. And in fact, uh, when I'm all said and done, I'm going to probably throw that 
six, seven minutes I recorded at the end of this episode, just because it's there. And actually, today the show I actually want to talk about is it's still a Michael Bailey show. It's called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. From Crisis to Crisis, as it says, it's a podcast hosted by well, none other than Michael Bailey and uh, his online buddy, Jeffrey Taylor. And they talk about Superman from Crisis on Infinite Earths to the last crisis they had, which was uh, Infinite Crisis, I'd think. They cover a 20-year period where they look at Superman and all of the books. It's an index show. It started out with the Man of Steel six-issue miniseries. And currently they're up to 1995 or 96, somewhere in there. I think it's 95. Uh, from Crisis to Crisis, it's supposed to be, I think it's a bi-weekly show, but it's not quite that frequent. Uh, just due to life, as I can attest to, uh, interrupts things at times. The last episode, let me see, oops. The first episode came out in May of 2009. I'm just looking at my my uh, Apple podcast thing. The last episode they did, here it goes, was March the 31st, episode 210. So again, it, it's a little delayed due to two people trying to get together and talk about comics, real life intrudes, intrudes, I know how that is. And that's just by myself. So imagine two people trying to get together. And again, I had that problem with my G.I. Joe podcast, but that's another story entirely. Uh, Michael and Jeffrey, they both give their opinions and their thoughts about the comics. They do a what else is on the spinner rack at the time. They give some every couple episodes or so. They do real world events. It's a great show. And again, as I've talked about before, From Crisis to Crisis is one of the shows I kind of based my shows around. They're one of the first ones I started listening to when I got into podcasting or listening to podcasts. And again, I that's one of my Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor are a couple of the the godfathers of this show, if you will. I so if you like what I do on my shows, blame them. If you don't, it's my poor execution of it. But anyways, again, that was Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor on From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. That can be found at www.fortressofbailey2.com slash from-crisis2-crisis. And if I don't mess up, I will have links in the show notes and on the blog for uh, From Crisis to Crisis. But I definitely meant, and I'm also going to play their promo at the end of the show. Again, I was going to do it earlier, but as you'll hear... When I talk, when I play the six or seven minutes I recorded, I played his views from the long box promo. Somewhere in my head, I got it crossed and put the wrong show and wrong promo in. Uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and play just a special. I'm gonna play their from Crisis to Crisis podcast uh, promo, and that's it. Definitely check out from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast where Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor. Take a look at every single Superman appearance from 1985 through, I think it's 2004, 2005, somewhere in there. About a 20-year period. Definitely check them out and tell them Aaron sent you. And that is Where's Head Going. And that'll also wrap up this show for the most part. 
Again, I had a couple of segments I wanted to throw in here, but seeing how we're running at an hour and a half, I'm delayed just due to family matters, issues at the house, not the TV show Family Matters. I'm going to go ahead and call it an end right here. Though, if you do listen to my entire show, you may have noticed that I did play a promo for Just League International, the Bwahaha podcast, won by the Air Wool Shag. Not only did I play it because I like that show and I want to get the word out there about it, but on his next episode, whenever he releases it, episode 13, uh, well, basically, take a step back. The Just League International Bwahaha podcast is the Irredeemable Shag talking about the Just League International comic from the late 80s. Again, that's my wheelhouse, the late 80s. That's when I got into comics. That's my the love of comics. But he talks about the Just League International, and every episode he has a different guest host. Uh, his next episode, as I was saying, episode 13, lucky number 13, uh, it's actually the first time he's going to do two comics, and soon... Once Just Like Europe starts up, he's going to be doing two comics every episode. So this is kind of a, a trial run to see how well it comes out. He had a special guest host, yours truly, because episode, or issue 13 of the Just League International crossed over with issue 13 of the Suicide Squad. And lo and behold, I do have a Task Force X podcast where I talk about the Suicide Squad. So, uh, Mr. Irredeemable Shag was kind enough to have me on his show to talk about the Just League International slash Suicide Squad crossover. So keep an eye out for the Just League International podcast. It's on iTunes and wherever else you get your your podcasts. Uh, it should be out soon. I'm not sure why it's not out yet, but it's, it should be out soon. Definitely take a listen. Let Shag know what you think. Let me know what you think. Speaking of letting me know what you think, I don't get any emails through me, guys, so I don't know if you guys are enjoying the show or what's going on. Uh, definitely send an email in. Let me know what you think. You can send your emails to head at headspeaks.com. You can leave a message on the Facebook or on the website. The website is head.headspeaks.com, and I'll read those messages on the air. Uh, but come on, guys. Let me know what you think of the show. As I've said, I would do this show no matter what because I enjoy talking about comics. But it helps me out to let me know that you guys are out there, what you guys think. And, I mean, if I could modify the show here and there to make it more enjoyable for you guys listening, I've got no problem doing so. So let me know what you think. But that's going to do it for this month. Uh, Be sure to check out my other shows on the network. There is, of course... G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, where me and a rotating panel of guest hosts talk about the G.I. Joe, a real American comic book from Marvel, and the G.I. Joe cartoon series from the mid-80s, late-80s. There's also this show here, Head Speaks, where I talk about whatever I want, usually comics or something geek-related. Then I have my Task Force X podcast, which I mentioned earlier, where I look at John Oshender's Suicide Squad, and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate comics from the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, then I have my other show, The Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, where I look again at a couple comics from the late 80s, the Will Payton Starman comic, and the Mark Shaw Manhunter comic. Uh, in fact, on that sh- show, I'm just finishing up the Invasion crossover, so definitely check it out, let me know what you think. And then 
hopefully coming soon. There may be another podcast coming out uh, starring yours truly. The Krypton Podcast, looking at the upcoming Krypton TV show on sci-fi. Me and, at this point, it looks like maybe Pat Sampson and maybe a third host if we get one on there. We'll be looking at the upcoming Krypton TV series from the Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, We're going to have a zero zero season beforehand where we look at some of the comics and the characters, look at the Krypton, and we'll have some special guest hosts on there. Uh, I've already got lined up the man I mentioned earlier, Michael Bailey, and the guy that I refer to as the other Superman guy, Bob Fisher. I've already talked to them about being on the show, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Check us out. And again, check out my parents on the upcoming Just League International Ball Ha Ha podcast, episode 13. And just watch when you show up across the internet somewhere. I guess that's going to do it. Join us next month when I will look at uh, what I'm looking at next month. And I'm going to look at the Adam Adam's appearances briefly in the Crisis miniseries. And I'm not sure what else. I got a couple of things in mind, but I'm not quite sure. But join us. It'll be fun. It'll be fun or your money back. How's that? I, I guarantee if you do not enjoy the episode, I'll pay you back what you had to pay for it. As long as you download it for free. Now, someone charges for it, that's on you. But anyways, that's going to do it for this month. So, uh, one final note. I may stop playing the end uh, song like I've been doing for the last uh, three years. Just because I'm on a podcasting group and I'm reading a lot of things about how you can get trouble playing music on podcasts if you don't have rights to it. So, playing the entire... Uh, song like I've been doing uh, may be problematic in the future I doubt it because I'm so small no one's going to care what I do but for the time being I'm going to leave the final song off if you guys really enjoy that let me know maybe I'll throw it back on there uh, but this time that's going to do it like I say at the end after I get to the credits I'm going to play that five six minutes thing I talked about Michael Bailey's views from the long box and I'll play a promo for Michael Bailey's views from the long box that's not talking about Michael man this is my show until next month, remember. Head has spoken. What a blast, kid. We sure had good fun while it lasted. Hung out with friends and hit the skin. Next week we're gonna do it again. Again, again. Thank you for listening to another great episode of Head Speaks. Be sure to look for me on the web. I can be found rambling on my Task Force X headcast where I cover all the appearances of the Ostringer Suicide Squad and Kupperberg's Checkmate comic books from the late 80s, early 90s. Both Headspeaks and Task Force X can be found on iTunes and over there on Stitcher Radio. My home on the Intertubes is my official website, headspeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S dot C-O-M. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast can be found there. I'm also over on Facebook at Head Speaks, uh, the community, not the page. That's somebody else. On Google+, look for Head Speaks. Please feel free to email me your bitches, moans, and gripes to headspeaks at headspeaks.com. Also, feel free to email any compliments you have also. And if you want to be heard on Head Speaks... 
You can go ahead and record a message, and you can send it to me at head at headspeaks.com, and I'll play it on the air. Be sure to join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood brotherhead. And hey, be sure to tell a friend. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny pages. This month I'm going to talk about another podcast I listened to. This one is called Michael Bailey's Views from the Long Box. Uh, Michael Bailey is, as I mentioned elsewhere and before, one of my uh, influences. One of the uh, the guys that I listened to that got me started into podcasting. As I talked about, Kevin Smith is the one that got me to do a podcast. But I base my shows kind of, sort of, especially Head Speaks, on Michael Bailey. Uh, Michael's first show I listened to, as I've talked about elsewhere, was from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. His main, and I believe his first show, is this one, Views from the Logbox. Uh, Views is, as Michael says in his promos, uh, a cry for help from a comic book addict. <laughs> uh, Michael's around my age or thereabouts, maybe a bit younger. He's been collecting comics about as long as I have. And basically, each episode of Michael's show is... Well, that's a grab bag. It's wherever he feels like talking about that month. Sometimes they'll have a little uh, series within a series. Uh, he recently talked on the ones... I, again, I'm a bit behind on his episodes. I'm like a year behind. But the ones I'm listening to recently, he's talked about Captain America. He did a uh, BS with a little WW, which is the Batman Superman with a little Wonder Woman he spent four or five episodes talking about Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman leading up to the Batman vs. Superman movie. Uh, it's just a little bit of this and that. He has episodes from Dragon Con when he goes. But it's just a little bit of you know, basically Michael talking about what Michael wants to talk about. He's a big comic book fan, so it's mostly comic book stuff. And that's why I like it. It's like so you hear from his dogs every once in a while. His wife, Rachel, she'll pop in once in a while, make a comment from the background. But Michael Bailey's show, it's very, uh, I don't know, it's very warm and very personal, personable. Uh, he's got a great speaking voice for radio. Uh, like I say, I know he, he said himself back in his early episodes, 2008, 2009, uh, he was a little anger, anger? A little angry at the comic scene, and that showed some of his podcasts. I enjoyed them, too. And usually, Michael's uh, view from the long box, it's a solo show. He does it by himself, but he does have the, the occasional guest host and guest star. Uh, his, one of his semi-permanent guest hosts is uh, the Irredeemable Shag, who I've had on my shows. And then he's got a couple of other guys that shows up from time and again. Andrew Leyland's another one of his semi-permanent guest hosts. A few others. Uh, it's supposed to be, I say it's supposed to be, I mean, it's his show, he knew what he wants. I, I believe it's a weekly show, but as I can attest, things like that don't always work out well. So it comes out when he can get it out. Uh, the last episode, 263, looks like it came out uh, May 9th, and that was part of the JLA May, JL May 2017 crossover. Uh, he was in episode... For part four of the 12-part crossover, which started with the Aquaman Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast, and crossed over with a dozen different shows. 
Michael's views from the long box being one of them. Uh, so like I say, if you want a show that's on a regular basis, it's always out every week. It may not be the show for you. And like I say, Michael sometimes will stop in the middle of podcasting and talk to his dogs, his wife, uh, whatever comes up. It, he edits it, but sometimes he doesn't edit everything out. And to me, that's kind of makes it what makes that show likable. That comes out kind of wrong. I like the show no matter what. Just, again, the way Mike, what Michael talks about, I agree with most of what he says. Every once in a while he'll say something like, what the heck? But for the most part, I kind of agree with most of Michael's, uh, what he says. And like I say, his, his wife and dogs and everything else is kind of showing up in the middle of it. To me, it gives it a little extra pizzazz, if you will. But anyways, uh, not much more to say about that. Definitely check out Michael Bailey's Views from the Long Box. He's online at viewsfromthelongbox.blogspot.com. You can also find him on iTunes, and your, I'm sure you can find him on any of your uh, podcast catchers out there. But definitely look for Michael Bailey's Views from the Long Box and check it out. In fact, if I did my job properly uh, back before this segment and actually for the last segment, uh, you heard a pr- promo from it. So definitely check them out. Anyways, that's where Head's going this episode. And that's going to wrap me up for this episode. I had a few more segments planned, but we're running on a little over an hour and a half. I'm a little behind on this episode just because of life. So we're going to go and end this episode here. Uh, Just a couple comments and shout-outs and comments. I do want to say... Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-death and return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of those really did suck, don't they? But from Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash from crisis to crisis a superman podcast.com. Is it dot com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no dot com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman one half month at a time. Every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailitude.com.